Chapter Five of the Riddle Ring by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: Mister Whaley's Chief. Jim Conrad dined with his new friend at the appointed time and place. The place was one of the very best restaurants in Paris. The dinner, of course, was excellent. Conrad congratulated Mister Whaley on the success of the meats and the wines. "'Yes, it is good,' Mr. Whaley said sententiously. "'Almost as good as you could once get at Delmonico's in New York.' "'That's about the best,' Conrad inquired. "'Was the very best,' Mr. Whaley said with authority. "'Been knocking about the world a good deal, and I ought to know.' Jim had not been knocking about the world very much, and had no claim to anything like universal knowledge. So he let the assertion go undisputed, having indeed no reason whatever to dispute it. He found his new companion odd, fresh, intelligent, and entertaining. They were now smoking over their coffee. "'Glad to see you smoke cigars and not cigarettes,' Whaley observed. "'That's what a North Country man ought to do. I don't like cigarette smoking. I think it's simply trifling with a serious business.' "'Good enough for women, you think, no doubt?' "'Quite so, yes. Just good enough for women. I don't think much of the women. They are generally in the way, don't you find?' "'They are sometimes sadly in the way,' said poor Jim, thinking of his own bitter experience, and perhaps inclined to be a little confidential under the influence of the wines and the cigars and the soft evening air. "'They are always in the way.' Mr. Whaley declared emphatically. To give further emphasis to his declaration, he smote his hand somewhat heavily on the table, with the manner of a man who drives a nail into the coffin of an opponent's argument. "'I hope you don't speak from experience,' Conrad mildly said. "'By Jove, yes, I do, in my own person and that of my pal. He made an awful mistake, and so did I.' But he began it. I only followed suit with him, as I did with everything he did. What did he do? What did he do? What didn't he do? Why, he'd just got married. Well, but such a lot of men do that. Yes, a lot of men. A lot of the sort of men that you might pick up here and there out of the gutter. But not such men as my pal. By Jove, he did knock himself out of time when he got married. How was that? But pray do forgive me if I am asking unreasonable questions. I really am not curious about other people's affairs. Oh, no, you're not a bit unreasonable. You see, I began telling you the story, and it's only natural that you should like to hear a little more about it. Well, he married, I am told, an awfully nice girl. I never set eyes on her. But, Lord bless you, he could marry any girl he liked. Well, for a while, she just spoiled him. Spoiled him? How was that? She was very handsome and clever, he told me, and, do you know, he actually fell dead in love with her. But I was under the impression that men generally fell dead in love with girls before they married them. Oh, God bless your heart, nothing of the kind. Nowadays, men generally marry for money, don't you think? But this girl hadn't any money to speak of, and so, you see, it was absurd of him to think of marrying her. 
but he fell in love with her and he kept on loving her after they were married and that was how she spoiled him still i don't see how that spoiled him well she set herself to elevate his moral tone and all that and she drew him away from some of his habits what she called his bad habits bad habits stuff and nonsense he was making a lot of money at billiards and at monte carlo and at epsom and in the city too he had the head of a rothschild for speculation and finance he could start a company out of a patent for the renovation of old buttons if he took it into his head and by jove she succeeded for a while in convincing him that he mustn't do anything of the kind and that he must go in for what she called an honourable way of living honourable way of living as if a man is not entitled to live by his cleverness i was sorry for it all i knew it wouldn't last i knew it couldn't last and of course it didn't last no i suppose not conrad said his attention was now beginning to wander somewhat if you have never known or even seen a particular man it is rather hard to take an interest in his moral or immoral development no of course not he soon began to grow tired of it all and he used to tell me about it but in the meantime don't you see i had followed the bad example myself i went and got married oh you did and was it a bad example why yes of course it was i hadn't any heart in the business but i didn't seem as if i could get on without my old pal he was my chief though and not my pal and i felt awfully lonely and there was a widow woman who i thought rather liked me and she had a good little pot of money at her disposal and in sheer despair i asked her to marry me and she consented yes she consented but she didn't let me get hold of much of the money and after a while she got not to like my ways don't you know said i wasn't made for ladies society only fancy as if lots of pretty girls hadn't liked me well enough and in fact we couldn't hit it off at all and so we agreed to differ i mean we agreed to part you separated yes of course we separated what was the good of it to me i used to have ten times more trouble in extracting a fiver out of her than i should have in winning ten times the money at epsom or anywhere else you like to name and she said that i made love to the maids which was utter nonsense for she took jolly good care to have them ugly enough to frighten don juan into good behaviour so we separated well absence makes the heart grow fonder isn't it said in some song i can't say that i feel it quite in that way the longer we are separated the less i want to be back with her again i dare say it's very wrong of me but don't you see i can't help it and what a man can't help i don't think ought to be set down to his own fault don't you agree with me in that well i am afraid it is rather a serious question for moralists and i am not quite sure that i should be able to grapple with it one can't grapple with all these things mr waley said contentedly one has only to do the best he can for himself or for others conrad asked with a tone of sweet innocence oh for himself of course 
one is only put into the world to take care of himself i am not sent into the world to take care of you now am i come i put it to yourself no of course i quite admit that conrad answered with a smile but you seem to think a great deal about your friend yes yes but he is my friend and my pal and my chief he is all the same as a piece of myself twiggy voo as the song says in one of the halls in london that's quite a different thing quite another pair of shoes if i may use such a vulgar expression yes yes i quite see that conrad said but your friend how did his marriage go off just about as badly as my own i don't know anything for dead certainty because he was a sort of chap that wouldn't always tell you everything there was no betting on him sometimes don't you see but i rather understood from him that the girl couldn't stand any more of him between ourselves i was not altogether surprised you see it's not all women or even all sorts of women who can understand and settle down to the goings-on of a man like him perhaps she didn't quite like the ways in which he made his money women are so queer about some things perhaps she may have thought that he was a little too fond of being admired by handsome women even after his marriage you see some girls don't ever understand what men are like men like my pal i mean and they can't make allowance men are men you know and women are women don't you agree with me in that oh yes i quite agree with you in that conrad replied with a very becoming gravity thought you would well anyhow he's gone gone yes gone and without letting me know a word that's the trouble of it i don't know where to get hold of him i have been to see a man today who knew him a man here in paris he was mixed up with him in some affairs but of course he doesn't know anything about him now how could he if i don't what sort of a man conrad asked by way of showing that he kept up an interest in the whole question as mr waley seemed to expect rather than out of any motive of direct personal curiosity well he isn't a man you could make much account of by his position in life or his occupation or his personal appearance but he is a man who is up to some things too tell you what he is he is just a hair-cutter's assistant in the english and american hair-cutting shop you know there in the rue de la paix just you go there and get your hair cut by him and draw him out if you can he can tell you a lot of things about everybody if he will only talk just mention my name if you like but the trouble is to get him to talk wonderful man conrad exclaimed a hair-cutter who will not talk i never before heard of the like mr waley stopped and considered i don't know he said in a depressed tone of voice i knew a woman who could remain absolutely silent for two whole days running and not even answer a question when she wanted to annoy her husband yes but that is a different case conrad replied different in a manner yes but what a woman can do for a purpose why shouldn't a hairdresser do with no purpose at all the question is unanswerable conrad willingly conceded 
After a while the coffee and the cigars and the talk came to a natural end. Mr. Whaley invited Conrad to go with him to some entertainments, with which he proposed to wind up, or rather perhaps to begin, the business of the evening. Conrad, however, refused to share in any further festivities for that night. He was not in the humour for entertainments. He went home to the Grand Hotel and sat in the courtyard and smoked. He had become curiously interested in Mr. Whaley. The man puzzled him, the man with apparently the many pursuits both in business and pleasure, and the one devotion. Clearly Mr. Whaley's devotion to his pal, as he usually called him, his chief, as he preferred in more thoughtful moments to call him, was as that of the spaniel to his master. Yet there did not seem much of the spaniel's nature about Mr. Whaley. He appeared to Conrad to have all the temperament of the fearless and conscienceless adventurer. Conrad sized him up, to use Mr. Whaley's adopted American phrase, as the sort of man who, if born some centuries before, would have been a daring chief of freelances, or a privateer in the interest first of himself and next of Elizabeth's England. He might perhaps have made a name for himself in history, Conrad thought, and now where would his temperament and his destiny conduct him? He had evidently not much scruple as to the particular rights or wrongs of a purpose or a policy, and his only conscience, so far as Jim had any opportunity of observing, had shrunk into his absolute devotion to his friend. What could the friend be like? Was he the sort of commanding figure that the fancy of his adoring follower painted him? Or was the adoring follower simply a victim of the delusion common to most adorers? Anyhow, the question had some interest for Conrad, and took him for the moment out of himself. He wondered if he should ever meet the object of so much adoration, and what he should think of him if he did meet him, and whether there could really be any man who had not forced his way into history, and who yet could have deserved the kind of all-encompassing homage which Whaley bestowed upon his idol. For nothing said by Whaley had suggested that his chief was a famous person, the mere mention of whose name would carry with it universal applause. One man in Paris, at all events, knew something about him besides Mr. Whaley, the English assistant in the hairdresser's shop. Jim made up his mind that he would very soon get his hair cut, and endeavour to rouse the silent Briton into talk. End of chapter 5